prayer in just a moment. Um, let me just mention briefly a couple of things for which we'll be praying. Uh, let's continue to lift up our dear sister in Christ, Barb Aubrey, in prayer. Uh, she did uh, begin her chemotherapy treatments on Friday of this uh, past week, two days ago. Uh, and so please continue to lift up Mike and Barb in prayer. The plan is that she would undergo some chemo and then have surgery and then likely chemo treatments to follow that. Um, but uh, continue to pray for her as she has ovarian cancer. Uh, then uh, continue to pray for Jesse Rivera's father, who has been uh, moved into a, a rehab, and they're hoping to move him home. Uh, so pray in prayer for, for him. And then it is good to see Sean Larkin with us this morning. We've been praying for him after his recent hip replacement uh, surgery, but continue to lift him up uh, in prayer uh, as well. Uh, and, um, and then continue to just pray. Several people in our church continue to be sick, and we pray for their healing. And then also, Pastor Collins this morning is up uh, with Covenant Church in Millers Falls, um, administering the Lord's Supper for them uh, this morning. And so we continue to pray for that local congregation that we are very involved uh, in supporting as a church. Well, let's now look to the Lord, our God, in prayer. Lord, our uh, God and Heavenly Father, we uh, do bless you and we give you thanks. We thank you for uh, this glorious good news that Jesus Christ uh, was sent. The Word was made flesh. Uh, the eternal Son uh, was born in that manger of Bethlehem. We give you thanks, O Lord, for uh, the centuries of preparation that there was, that as it were, the whole Old Testament pointed us forward to that Messiah who was to come, the one who would be the suffering servant, dying on behalf of his people, uh, the one who would be great David's greater son, the one who through his coming and his redemptive work would indeed inaugurate that age to come. Uh, we thank you that with Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has indeed come. And we thank you for your marvelous saving grace that has opened our eyes and made us to see his glory and to place our faith in him. We thank you, O Lord, that you are a God of salvation. And we adore you and praise you this day. O Lord, our God in heaven, we do thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for this body which Christ has bought with his own blood, this body over which he is head, this body which is knit together, each joint uh, uh, supporting one another, uh, growing together. Uh, into a mature man, that we are together the temple of uh, the living God, and we pray for the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we do thank you for this local body, O Lord, and we continue to lift up the needs and concerns of this body before you. Uh, we pray, O Lord, with all of our hearts that the ministry of your word in this place uh, would be met with responsive hearts, uh, that your spirit, Lord, would till up the soil of our hearts and cause it to be fruitful. Uh, Lord, we long as well that through the ministry of this church, uh, that sinners would come to know uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and place their faith in him. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, as a church that we would be herald of this good news of Christ come for sinners 
Uh, We pray, O Lord, that you would give to each one of us boldness to live for Jesus Christ in our daily callings, that we would shine as lights in this very dark world. O Lord, grant, O Lord, that we would live as Christ's followers. Keep us from sin. O Lord, when we face temptation, might we turn from it, turning unto you. Might our lives, O Lord, bear all the marks of those who are bought by Jesus' blood. We pray, O Lord, our God, that you would uh, grant to us as a congregation continued unity, uh, love for one another, that we would be built up together in this most holy faith. And we would pray, O Lord, our God, for many of the temporal needs and concerns of the people of this church. O Lord, we continue to lift up our dear sister Barb in prayer. Lord, our God, uh, might you, uh, in your compassion and kindness, give both Mike and Barb a real sense of your presence. Uh, We pray, O Lord, that even as the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry healed many as a sign of his power, O Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to heal our dear sister. Uh, Yet we know, O Lord, that all of your ways are perfect and good. Uh, We trust in you for what every day brings. We pray that as she undergoes this treatment, O Lord, uh, that you would sustain her. And when days are dark and difficult, Lord, might she find strength that comes only from you. Lord, our God in heaven, we do pray for others. We thank you, Lord, for your uh, uh, grace recently to Jesse Rivera's father, uh, that he has recovered in large measure, or at least in some measure, from these strokes. We pray that he would continue to receive the care that he needs. We thank you as well for blessing Sean Larkin through this recent hip replacement and even bringing him uh, to enough recovery that he's able to be back among us uh, this morning. We pray for others who are sick. We do think especially of Jeannie McCarthy and of uh, Bruce Jacobs and uh, others in our church who are sick. And we ask, O Lord, our God, that you would bring healing to them. Uh, We pray for our sister uh, Sue Ely, who will need uh, some skin cancer uh, removed. And we pray, O gracious God, that you would provide uh, for uh, the Ely's in this and Uh, that you would uh, continue to keep and preserve Sue. Lord, we pray for Deb Connor's sister, who's soon going to have surgery for breast cancer. And for Olivia Andre, we pray that she would be enabled to go uh, undergo surgery on January 9th. Lord, our God, we continue to pray for Isaac Ziaday and ask that you'd bless Mike and uh, Loren as they care for him. And uh, we pray that he would... uh, uh, not have any continued uh, uh, or some of these continue or these some of these recent issues that he's experienced. Lord, would he'd experience healing in these things? Oh, Lord, our God in heaven, we uh, thank you that you are with us as a church body. And Lord, even as we pray for our own local congregation and. God, uh, that you would be near to your people who are undergoing seasons of persecution and of trouble. Uh, might they remain faithful to you. Might you guard and protect your people. We pray for those regions of the world where there are current hostilities. Uh, we think especially of the Ukraine and of Israel. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring about a just peace 
And Father in heaven, that there would be a cessation to these hostilities and the loss of life. O Lord, our God in heaven, uh, we, we plead with you that you would do this. And Lord, we do pray earnestly that more and more people throughout the world would come to know the Lord uh, Jesus Christ as Savior and as King. Uh, Do this, uh, we pray. We give you thanks for this meeting today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, we're now going to sing before we hear God's word uh, preached. Uh, We're going to be spending the entire month of December uh, in a special Advent series. You'll notice earlier that we had our scripture reading out of Luke in the morning. We're just going to be doing the birth narrative through December. And similarly, we're going to be singing mainly Advent hymns uh, during this month. Uh, In the Sunday school today, we learned a new hymn uh, entitled, Sing We the Song of Emmanuel. So many of you are here for the Sunday school uh, today. This will uh, be familiar to you as we learned it together. It is on the handout that you received when you came in. Uh, You'll notice that there is a front side of the handout that involves the three stanzas to the hymn, and there is a back side to the handout that that has the refrain on it. So it's both front and back. And we will uh, stand and sing this uh, wonderful Christmas hymn to God's glory and praise.
forward to continuing to learn that together and sing it together. What a, a wonderful Christmas hymn it is. I invite you to turn with me uh, now this morning to um, Isaiah chapter 40, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah in your Old Testament. So if you turn to your uh, Old Testament, uh, you have the book of Psalms right in the middle, and then Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then after Song of Solomon is the book Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 40. And our text is going to be verses uh, 1 and 2, Isaiah chapter 40 and verses uh, 1 and 2. In the 1700s, the pastor John Newton, who was the author of Amazing Grace along with many other hymns, uh, was also a great lover of the piece of music, Handel's Messiah. Uh, But nonetheless, John Newton bemoaned, Uh, those in his own day who delighted to go to Westminster Abbey to hear a performance of the Messiah, and yet who did not believe any of the words that people were singing. And don't we still see that in our day, many who uh, take great delight in what is an absolutely beautiful, stunning piece of music, and yet even as they sing those words or hear them sung and delight in the music itself, they do not believe in many of the words that are spoken. Well, John Newton very much believed in those words, and he made the decision back in the 1700s to preach a series of sermons from each text of Handel's uh, Messiah. And he did that, I believe it was over 50 weeks total. Well, as Pastor Collins and I were uh, considering this year what to do uh, at Christmas time, what to preach, uh, we made the decision that we would do something similar to what Newton did, but not preach all 50 texts, but rather to take the text that Handel's Messiah sings from the book of Isaiah concerning the birth and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to preach on those seven texts out of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet who is sometimes called the evangelical prophet uh, because uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is uh, so clearly spoken in uh, the book of Isaiah that we want to kind of put him on uh, par with the gospel writers. Here is the gospel in the Old Testament, and we're going to find that in many of these passages that we preach out of Uh, Isaiah's prophecy over these next uh, several weeks. So in all of the Lord's Days between now and Christmas time, that is the next four Lord's Days total, both morning and evening, uh, we are going to be looking at a total of seven different texts out of Isaiah's prophecy. Well, we come today to Isaiah 40 and verses 1 and 2. Some of you who are familiar with uh, the Messiah might even as we Read some of these texts over the next weeks, have the music ringing in your ears, and that's a beautiful and good thing. Isaiah 40, uh, verses 1 and 2. Let's hear these words of uh, the Word of God. Uh, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, 
and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This ends this reading in God's uh, word. Let's now look again to the Lord's to the Lord in prayer. Lord, our uh, God in heaven, we uh, give you thanks for uh, all the words that are found in Holy Scripture. Uh, But we especially thank you uh, for those words which herald for us the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even this passage in Isaiah, that some 700 years before Christ's coming, heralded that through this Messiah, true comfort would be brought to the Lord's people. And we pray, O Lord, that today we would draw from that comfort which you give unto us. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Uh, Isaiah prophesied during a rather dark and dreary and gloomy days in the southern kingdom of Judah's uh, history. Uh, The Assyrians had already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and they were now threatening Judah as well. And in the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah delivered mostly a message of judgment against the nation of Judah. And he spoke of a coming exile as a result of their sin. An exile that was not going to come at the hands of Assyria, but rather another nation, Babylon, which would rise up and deliver God's sentence of judgment against his unfaithful people. And so chapters 1 through 39 are filled in large measure with one message of judgment after uh, another. But that's what makes the turn actually from Isaiah 39 into Isaiah 40 such a striking turn. Because here the Lord announces, beginning at Isaiah chapter 40, words of extraordinary grace and comfort to the true people of God. Uh, Though the nation of Judah was going to be chastised because of their continued sin and learn something of God's holiness and the danger of sin, God was not yet done with his people but had a message of grace and of salvation and a message of comfort for his people. What striking words these are. Comfort, comfort my people says your God. I do wonder if such a message of comfort is important not only for uh, God's Old Testament people of Judah, but for the people of God uh, today. Uh, There is no doubt that many of you in this room, in fact all of us at different stages, are a people who need to be comforted. Uh, We live in a world where we suffer afflictions, uh, loved ones die, Our financial condition sometimes is unsure. You might lose your job. You have unreconciled differences with people who are near or dear to you. Uh, You face difficult diseases, at times even chronic illnesses. Uh, The temptations of the evil one come upon you. Uh, That warfare is difficult. Your own flesh drags you 
uh, down into the mire at times of sin and degradation. At times you wonder, can I go on? Life seems full of despair and of difficulty, and you wonder, will I have strength not only for this day, but for the days uh, that are yet uh, to follow? There are often many reasons for discouragement and despair, but in the midst of that, dear people of God, a message is sounded forth that even as Isaiah looks forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he announces to the people then, comfort, comfort ye my people. And so we, who can now look back upon the coming of our Lord Jesus some 2,000 years ago, can say that this same message from the living God rings true today. Comfort, comfort for the people of God. So that's what I want to open up in our passage uh, this morning together. We're going to do it under four different heads, kind of marching our way through this passage and seeing this comfort that the Lord has for the people of God. Uh, First of all, we're going to consider that God has his people in this world. Secondly, that God desires that his people should receive comfort. Thirdly, that it is the job of preachers to declare this comfort. And fourth and finally, this comfort has a threefold basis that we're going to see out of verse 2. God has his people in this world. God desires that his people should receive comfort. It is the job of preachers to declare this trump, this comfort. And this comfort has a threefold basis. All, the, all four of these things, uh, these first two verses in Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah chapter 40. Well, the first thing that I want us to consider is indeed this, that God has his people in this world. How does Isaiah begin these statements? Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. These words aren't spoken to all people indiscriminately. It's not each and every person who receives comfort, but rather the Lord points to a people who are his special possession. A people that the Lord himself calls my people. And that he says, I am your God. And these are the ones who are to be comforted. Well, who are uh, these people? Well, these are the people who are God's special possession, as it were, from eternity past to eternity future. Uh, The entirety of the scriptures point us to this idea that God is a God who saves his people from uh, their sins. And so we read in the Bible that God has chosen a people by election in Christ, from before the foundation of the world. These are the people who are the recipients of God's covenant promises. It was made to Abraham, you'll remember, that God promised to be a, uh, that, that he would be his God and that they shall be uh, his people, uh, that he would be a God to him and to his seed after him. It is these people who are Uh, The sheep for whom Christ would die. The people who would receive the sealing of the Holy Spirit. These are the people who are united uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. It is these people that are justified by faith. 
that are adopted into the family of God, that are being sanctified in the Holy Spirit. It is these people who are heirs of everlasting life. They are, the Lord says, my people. It is these same people that he is referring to when he says in verse 2 to speak tenderly to Jerusalem. By Jerusalem here, he's not simply referring uh, to the earthly uh, city, but rather Jerusalem in the old uh, covenant was, uh, was the place of the temple. It was where the people of God dwelt. And by this word Jerusalem, he's referring to the people of God uh, as a whole. And we can apply it to, indeed, the people of God, both Jew and Gentile, the church of the living God. These are the Lord's people. And so here are words that our loving God has for the people of God. How amazing is this peculiar love and care that God has uh, for his own? You know, if you were to, uh, any of you were to go out and uh, into a place where there was a vast crowd, maybe a stadium or a, a, a giant a march or a gathering in a large city, and if you were to see a crowd of 10,000 people there, and if you were to begin to look at all the different faces, you would realize, I don't know most of these people, I don't know most of these people, but as soon as you would see somebody who's either a child or a brother or a sister or a friend of yours, you would, what, immediately recognize their face and pick them out of the crowd. Well, there's a sense in which that's what the Lord does for us. This world has a vast number of people in it, such a large number, but do you know that the Lord especially knows his own? He, as it were, sees you in all the peculiarities of your situation and knows who you are by name. He knows everything about you. He picks you out, and you are his. What a glorious thing this is, that we are God's covenant people, and he is our God. So I just simply ask you, are you one of the covenant people of God? Well, you might ask. How do I know if I'm a covenant person of God? Well, the question is simply this. Are you, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? And can I call each one of you today to do that? That it is through faith in Jesus Christ that we receive that gift of salvation. Now, if you come to believe, it means that God was working long beforehand with your soul that he had even chosen you from eternity and poured out his grace upon you before you ever knew him. But how do you know that you are a person, a child of God? It is through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, these words apply to you. Comfort, comfort, the Lord says, my people, and you are one of those who is my people, the Lord says. He is the Lord, your God. God has a people in this world. What a beautiful thing that is. But now, secondly, we see here that God desires that his people should receive comfort. God desires that his people should receive comfort. Do you see that? He says to those who are his people, comfort Comfort my people. The Lord desires that those who are his, 
chosen by God in eternity, those who will be redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, he desires that we would know in the innermost part of our being his comfort. It is his gift to us. And what a wonderful gift it is. Because the Lord gives to us a kind of comfort and consolation that this world cannot give. People who are unbelievers try to be comforted in this world amidst the difficulties of life. But isn't the comfort that unbelievers receive often so hollow? You know, an unbeliever, you go through something difficult in life. If you don't have God, what do you say? Sometimes they say, well, I'm sure that things will get better. Well, are you really? How do you know that things are going to get better? Kind of wishful thinking. I, I think it, it, those are kind of hollow words of comfort. Or, or as a person might say, by way of comfort, well, you know, there are some people who have it worse. Well, again, those are kind of hollow words. It's true that some people do have it worse. But that doesn't necessarily give me much comfort in the situation that I'm in. Or, or somebody else might say, well, you're going through a difficult time, but you can't give up your faith in humanity. I gave up my faith in humanity a long time ago. I don't know about you, right? It, that's kind of hollow words as well. If, if I'm saying at the end of all of this, I need to be able to, the, to trust that others are really pretty good and have my best interest in mind and all the, well, that, that's kind of hollow as well. Are there any, those are some of the examples I came up with, the way that the world tries to comfort one another. And you see, it's hollow, it's hollow. But how much more beautiful and wonderful is this, that the living God of all the universe comes to us and he says, comfort, comfort. He can bring true consolation. And you'll notice it's, it's words that are repeated here. He, he doesn't just say, comfort my people, but he says, comfort, comfort. He repeats it. You know, why, why do we repeat things? Well, we repeat things when we want people to really know, those, to, to know that it's true, right? And so you might hold your child in your arms or your grandchild in your arms, and you might say to your little child or grandchild, I love you. And then you say it again, I love you. Why do you repeat it? It's because you want the child to know that, right? Or, or if you see somebody running out into danger, you'll say, be careful, be careful. And you repeat it because it gives some urgency. You want them to know it. Or I was coaching uh, first and second grade basketball yesterday, and as the kids had the ball in their hand, I would say, dribble, dribble. <laughs> okay. And it was because they were forgetting to do it. They needed to know that's what they were supposed to do. Well, the Lord here says to his people, comfort comfort. Listen to me, people of God. No comfort. He repeats it for our sake. And isn't it true, dear friends, that the Lord is the one who brings comfort to his people? We're going to talk as we go through verse 2 about how the Lord brings comfort to us, but, but I want you to think right now especially about how these words find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You know, how does the Lord comfort us in lots of different ways, but supremely through the giving of Jesus Christ? You know, he was sent into the world in many ways to be our comforter. He is our great high priest who is able to sympathize us with us in all of our needs. 
He became truly man so that he would experience the things we experience, undergo the temptations that we are tempted by, suffer through this world, become like us in order to sympathize with us. But he's not only man, he's also God. And as God has infinite power to help us in all of our needs, so we find Jesus Christ to be the one who can sympathize with us and help us, and we can find uh, mercy and grace, as Hebrews 4 says, to help in our time of need through this high priest. You know, when Jesus uh, was about to leave his disciples in that upper room uh, discourse that he gives to his disciples, he says to them, I'm going to send to you another comforter, who's the Holy Spirit. But do you get what's implied in those words? If he's sending another comforter, who was the comforter? It was Jesus himself. Jesus himself, the one who uh, came uh, 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 into this world and who sympathizes with our uh, 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 every every need, uh, is now at the right hand of the Father. And he continues to comfort us. But his ministry of comfort is now extended to us through uh, the Holy Spirit. So we have, even in the incarnation of Jesus, God, the comforter of his people, drawing near to us, sympathizing with us in every need that we have, helping us in the midst of every difficulty. We have a Lord who says, Comfort, comfort ye my people, says our God. So we see that the Lord has a people, that God desires that his people should receive comfort. Thirdly, I want us to consider briefly that it is the job of preachers to declare this comfort. It is the job of preachers to declare this comfort. You'll actually notice in this passage that God here does not comfort his people directly, but rather he comforts his people through Isaiah and the other prophets. He commands them to tell the people... Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. He's telling the prophets, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her. It's a command for the prophets to have a ministry of God's comfort among the people. Well, even as the prophets of the Old Testament were God's appointed spokesmen, who brought God's word, even today, God's word comes to God's people in a number of ways, right? We read the written word of God. We read Christian books that explain truth to us. Parents uh, speak of the word of God to their children in friendships that we have. We speak of the word of God to each other. We study the word of God in Bible studies. But especially, dear friends, in this new covenant era, the word of God comes to us through the preaching of the word of God. God, the ascended Lord Jesus, has given to his church pastors and teachers. These pastors are commanded, 1 Timothy 4, to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. And it's right that our own Westminster Shorter Catechism in question and answer 89 says this, how is the word made effectual to salvation? Well, the spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word 
an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. And so the Lord has a special place for the proclamation of his word by his appointed vessel, the preaching of the word of God. Now I think what we can draw from Isaiah 40 here is that one of the chief tasks of those who are sent to proclaim the word of God is that they would have a ministry of comfort to the people of God. That we are to speak, that we are to preach words of comfort. And in particular, it tells us of a couple of ways in which we are to speak these words of comfort. Verse 2. First of all, we are to speak it with tenderness. Speak tenderly, he says to the prophets. Speak tenderly. Literally, it's speak to the heart of Jerusalem. So the preaching of the word is to bring words of solace and words of hope and to bring them with gentleness to the Lord's dear people. And so the preacher is to preach uh, comfort with tenderness. But the second way he's to preach it is he's to preach it with decisiveness. It says not only speak tenderly to Jerusalem, but then it says, and cry to her. You see, he's he's saying, not merely uh, suggest to her or hint at these things, these words of comfort, but rather, as it were, speak with a decisiveness. Uh, Speak with a kind of uh, 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 authority that, as it were, will drown out all of the lies of Satan and the despair of the human heart that people are dealing with Come to them with God's truth and tell them with certainty that our God is a God who brings comfort to his people. We have it on the authority of God's word. So all true gospel preaching is to be a preaching of comfort with tenderness and with decisiveness. So I want to just say to you that this is one of the marks indeed of what true gospel preaching is. You know, people like at times different kinds of preachers. Uh, Some people like preachers who are preachers of thunder. You know, preachers who convict us of sin and rebuke us and, as it were, drive spears into our hearts and nail us to the pew, (laughs) making us to see and to feel our own sin. And I say that is one of the marks of good preaching. That good preaching does convict us of sin and it preaches the law of God. Well, other people say, well, what I really like is I like those preachers who are real practical preachers. You know, tell me what to do. Make it clear. Make it practical. Make, me, make it down to earth. Tell me how I'm supposed to live. I want practical instruction. And, and again, I want to say that there is a place for that as well in preaching. Uh, when we preach uh, uh, imperative texts that tell us how to live, the preacher needs to apply that in practical and down-to-earth ways. Yes, indeed. And so preachers should be preachers of thunder. They should be preachers who are practical. But dear friends, not any of those things to the exclusion of what I'm about to say. And that is that the gospel preacher, I think above all else, a true God-sent pastor, needs to be one who comforts with the words of the gospel. One who preaches Jesus in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, in all of his saving power. 
You know, the word gospel itself is a word which means good news. It's good news. And the preacher gets to preach all of those wonderful doctrines of God's saving grace through Christ and gets to major on the gospel, to major on what has God done for lost sinners like us. And the true gospel preacher is the one who declares this extraordinary good news to God's people so that they will believe it and that they will feel it and that those who are truly Christ will be immeasurably comforted by it. So that's the kind of preaching you ought to desire. That's the kind of preaching I and Pastor Collins are called to. And might it be that God's churches, Christ's churches are filled with preachers who will preach the consoling words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Comfort, comfort ye, he says to Isaiah and to the prophets, comfort my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, cry to her. But this moves us on now to our fourth and final point today. And I want us to see now that this comfort which he speaks to the people of God is a comfort that has a threefold basis. You know, why should we be comforted? Well, the Lord doesn't just simply tell us to be comforted, but rather he gives us reasons. And that's really what we have in verse 2, are three different reasons why the Lord's people ought to experience his comfort. And even as we go through these things, I want them to be, as it were, lodged in your mind that you would draw continual comfort from these three things. Well, the first of those three things is this. It is, you'll see it right before you in verse 2, that your warfare is ended. Your warfare is ended. What remarkable words these would have been for the nation of Judah originally. Judah, which was facing the threat of Assyria and would later be exiled at the hands of Babylon. What a terrible destruction they would experience in the city of Jerusalem. The temple itself would be, uh, would be burned and the um, people of God carried away into exile. They would feel very fragile, very insecure. The Lord here is promising a coming day when I send my Messiah, when the Savior comes. Dear people of God, that your warfare is going to be ended. And, and it's really a promise of peace and a promise of security to the people of God. And you and I do exist in a world that is uh, difficult we face trials of many kind that do make us feel fragile. At times, we do wonder if we're going to make it through that day or make it through the next day. But the assurance is that with the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, that as it were, our future has been placed entirely in the hands of this faithful Savior. And he does it all that is necessary to keep us safe for time and for eternity. He lays his down he laid down his life for the good of his sheep. 
he holds his sheep in the palm of his hands, and he keeps us safe and secure. Now, this does not mean that for God's people in this life that we're not going to still have battles, as it were, but, but we fight those battles, and especially the battles against sin and against the evil one and against temptation. We fight those battles knowing that Jesus Christ has already won the victory and we are secure in him. So we fight, as it were, from a position of strength. Not a position of, oh, I don't know if this battle is going to be won or lost. I don't know if the warfare is going to finally come out on the right side. But no, instead, we, we, we are united to the Savior who himself came 1 John 3.8 tells us he came to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what Jesus has done. He has disarmed the strong man. He has defeated the devil. He has secured everything that is necessary for our salvation. And so he is that beautiful, precious Savior who says to us, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Those of you who are tired of the battles that we fight, come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. And the true disciple of Jesus finds a beautiful, glorious rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to us, your warfare is ended. And can't we look forward to that day, especially when after this life, this present veil of tears, that we will enter into the very near presence of our Savior. We will see him face to face, and seeing him, we will be like him. And be in his presence forever and ever. And there truly, as, as never before, we will experience that rest. The final end to the warfare that we face. Comfort, he says, because your warfare is ended. Secondly, comfort, why? It is because your iniquity is pardoned. Comfort, because your iniquity is uh, pardoned. Now, again, the greatest problem that we have is the problem of our sin. Unlike what this world says, the world says your sin's not a big deal. The world doesn't even believe in sin, really. But we know that our sin is a big deal against a holy God. What we deserve is death. And so for sinners who have truly been convicted of our sin and know that what we deserve is death before the face of a holy God, what beautiful words these are. Your iniquity, every last part of it, all of the rotten words that you have spoken, all of the filthy thoughts that you've had, all the hateful desires of your heart, all the things that you look back now with such regret that you don't even like to think about the things that you've said and that you've done, and he says, all of that iniquity in Jesus Christ is pardoned. He bore all of your sins on Calvary's tree. And isn't that ultimately why our iniquity can be pardoned? You know, all the sacrifices of bulls and of goats that occurred in the Old Testament were beautiful pictures of the forgiveness that we would receive, but none of those could actually affect that forgiveness. Not the blood of a single bull or a single goat offered on that altar in Jerusalem. But what must happen? All of that was there to point us forward to the one who can, by his death, take away all of our sin. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, the one who was fully righteous, 
was sacrificed for us. Our sin laid upon his shoulders. And when he died, the penalty was borne, not 50%, not 90%, not 99%, but 100% by him. So that everyone who is found in Jesus Christ now has their iniquity pardoned in full. What wonderful news that is. A believer in Jesus Christ, that you can wake up every day not wondering, well, what, what, what do I need to do today to secure my forgiveness? What, what do I need to do today to somehow make God love me? No, we wake up every day saying, I know that he loves me because he sent Jesus. And he bore all of my sin. And there's no longer any controversy between me and God. All of my sin that would separate me from him has been atoned for. It is forgiven. It is taken away entirely. And that is why there is comfort. Our warfare is ended. Secondly, our iniquity is pardoned. And a third reason that we're told here, that true comfort comes with the coming of Jesus Christ. And it is this, that we have received double from the Lord's hand, double for all of our sins. Well, what does this mean? And actually here, uh, there is some dispute among commentators. What is this talking about when it says, we have received from the Lord's hand double for all of our sins? I'll give you the options, and I think either one of them is consistent with the rest of Scripture. Either it's speaking of a kind of double cursing, as a result of our sins, or a double blessing instead of our sins. Uh, By double cursing, what it means is not that the Lord curses our sins over and above what they deserve. That can't be. Our sins deserve eternal death. But it means there the idea of kind of that there has been an ample or sufficient, and here we might even talk of a kind of chastising of our sins. So as God's people, if this is the interpretation, that's that's correct. As God's people, though our sins have been atoned for on Calvary, the Lord in his fatherly goodness and kindness still chastises us and disciplines us so that we will be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And some of the trials that we go through are for this purpose. God has good purposes in it. So it could be that this is saying that it is from the Lord's hand, dear people of God, it is from the Lord's hand that we experience our chastisement and our trials. And so don't be afraid of what this next day might bring because it is from the hands of your good God who is amply chastising us for his glory and for our good, for the sins that we commit. So that's one interpretation of this verse. Another interpretation, though, and actually the one that I would lean toward myself, is that what it's actually speaking of when it says that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins, that what it's actually speaking here is of a kind of double blessing in response to our sins. And you say, well, how do you get that from this? The parallel text is actually Isaiah 61 and verse 7. There's another one out of Job as well, but we'll turn to this one real quickly. Isaiah 61 and verse 7. And there it says this, Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. 
Therefore, in their land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. And there it's saying, instead of the shame that you deserve, what you have received is actually a double portion of good, of blessing from the Lord's hand. And so it's the same language that's used here in Isaiah 40 in verse 2. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, dear people of God, not only is all of your sin atoned for, taken away, pardoned by his grace, but in its place he has heaped upon you abundant blessing in Jesus Christ. Now that's a biblical theme certainly as well, isn't it? You know, where sin has uh, abounded, uh, grace, uh, where, where sin increased, Romans 5.20, grace abounded all the more. Okay, that the law came through Moses, grace and truth. What's even spoken of later is grace upon grace is given to us in Jesus Christ. And the image, again, is that not only, as it were, is our sin taken away so that we're brought kind of again into a state of neutrality, but that the Lord abundantly, overwhelmingly blesses us. And he does it in so many different ways. Can't you just think of, of these ways? He, he adopts us into, uh, into his family. We uh, receive all the promises of God's uh, word. We uh, have been exalted to the highest place in Jesus Christ, lifted up. Uh, with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. We are enthroned and, re uh, and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have the promises of a bright and better uh, future. All of these things. We have the, we have the, the gift of, of a church family and of a place in history among God's people. And we could just uh, multiply all of the blessings that we have received in abundance through our Lord. And all of this has come in place of the sin. We deserve his punishment because of our sin, and he has heaped a double portion of blessing upon us. Comfort, he says, comfort ye my people. And do it for these reasons. And so let me just close today just by a way of application and to say, when you are in a, t in a time of trial and of despair, and it seems like it's days of gloomy darkness, and you don't know how you're going to make it through that day. Much like the people of Judah didn't really know in the midst of the sinfulness of that nation and of the judgment and of the exile that was being pronounced upon them back in Isaiah's day, much as they would have been filled with a similar sense of despair, Isaiah's prophecy comes breaking in upon them as it comes breaking in upon you and it points all of our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ who in Isaiah's day was to come, who in our day we look back upon his coming and all that he has done and having our eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus with all of his blessings, their, their comfort is to be found true, abiding, lasting comfort for the people of God. And so we find our comfort not in our circumstances. And we find our comfort not from ourselves, but we always and only find it in Jesus Christ. Isn't that so much of the good news this Christmas season? Once again, 
this December, we are going to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And why do we do that? Well, here, dear friends, is the comfort, the lasting comfort for God's people that he sent his only son who has accomplished our salvation in full. And as we rest in him, we find comfort for our souls. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this message today that you told Isaiah to preach. And Lord, we pray that we might continue to preach it and proclaim it. Think upon it and live by it in our day. You, the living God, say, comfort, comfort ye my people. What good news it is of all the blessings that have come to us in our incarnate Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, fix our minds upon these things. And might we, amidst the difficulties of our own day, nonetheless be encouraged and comforted. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in response to God's word preached, and also as we prepare to come to the table this morning, we're going to sing uh, the hymn number 300, Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus. And this hymn speaks of what it is that Jesus came to accomplish for his people. And we'll sing stanzas one through three, Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus. And we'll stand to sing.
chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so we come today to this table which does remind us that the Lord Jesus took upon himself a true humanity, that the Son became incarnate, the Word was made truly flesh, and in the flesh he suffered and died for us, to secure for us the forgiveness of our sins, uh, the end of our warfare, and also <coughs> blessing upon blessing instead of sin. What a wonderful, loving God we have. And this is what we remember in this table. And so uh, I do invite to this table today all you who have repented of your sins and are looking in faith to Jesus Christ, the only Savior. And if you have uh, identified yourself with the people of God by, uh, uh, by professing your faith and are a member in good standing of Christ's church, then I invite you to this table today. Come and welcome but if you uh, are not trusting in Jesus today, or if you have not uh, joined yourself to the church of Jesus Christ, then do not come to this table today, but might it be that soon you would join us uh, here. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this table, this table of the Lord, this wonderful, glorious table which speaks to us of, of this all-sufficient Savior. Oh, Lord Jesus, how we praise you and adore you. We thank you, Lord, that you did come at just the right time. You came for sinners like us. You came as an instrument of God's grace, the bringer of God's grace unto us. And Lord, we pray now that as we eat and drink, that we would do so in communion with you, that you would be pleased to meet with us and bless us here at this table. Lord, how we give you thanks. You are our faithful God and King. Bless us now, we pray. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, the same night in which our Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, as I minister in his name, give it unto you. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you take the bread, you can hold on to it, and we will eat it together at my direction.
brothers and sisters, let's eat together of bread. Supper took the cup, and after giving thanks, as has been done in his name, he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it all of you. Uh, the inner circle of the of the plate has wine. It's the outer circle that is grape juice. Um, and again, when you receive the cup, you can hold on to it, and we'll drink it together.
pray. Lord our God, we give you thanks for this full salvation, this good news, this gospel message that has been proclaimed to us by word has been confirmed to us by the sacrament. We pray, O oh Lord, that now, having been built up by your grace, that we would live faithfully as disciples of Christ in your world. Do this and bring us comfort. Might we think upon these things and draw comfort from them by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've received so much from the Lord, a chance to give. We give uh, in our deacon's offering. Now this deacon's offering goes to support both those inside and outside of our congregation with material and temporal needs. blessing of your God. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.